Okay, let me pray, and then we'll open up the scriptures. What a rich time you've given us this morning, Lord, so far. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you that that we, your people, we're, we're a temple of the living God, and you come and you indwell us as we gather. And you touch our hearts, and you speak to us, and you strengthen us, and comfort us, and convict us, and all the things that we need. And thank you for doing that this morning. And Lord, continue your work here now through the word we pray. We understand that the scriptures are the foundation of the church, the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. Lord, we want our individual lives and we want our corporate life as a body to be built on the scriptures. And so, Lord, come and do that today. Let us understand your word and then let us respond to your word. And help me as I preach. Give me your heart and your wisdom. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. And that's on, if you need a Bible, as we always say, raise your hand. We want to bring one to you so you can have a Bible to study, to read as we're going through. So important that we have Bibles open in front of us to be able to circle words, underline, and, and read. And in the Bibles we're passing out, it's page 981. So go ahead and turn there. And while you're turning there, I want, I want you to think about that the Bible teaches two different truths that are crucial to hold together if we're going to live Christian lives effectively and strongly. Two different truths that are crucial to hold together. So one truth is that everyone who trusts Christ will persevere in faith and enter heaven. Everyone. That's found in like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which we studied a few weeks ago, uh, where Paul says that the good work that God started in you, giving you faith, that's why you're believing him, he will continue that good work all the way until the day of Christ Jesus. So everyone who trusts Jesus Christ, like Paul was saying earlier, as Lord, Savior, and treasure, God, by his sovereign power, he will keep you persevering in faith all the way to the end. Now that doesn't mean that you'll never sin again, but it means that when you sin, he will turn your heart back to Christ. You will keep persevering all the way to glory. So everyone who trusts Christ will persevere in faith and enter heaven. That's one crucial truth. But there's another crucial truth we've got to hold together with that one, and that is that everyone who trusts in Christ must persevere in faith to enter heaven. Must. Will. First truth. Must. Second truth. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 24, 13. He says, It is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. Implication? If someone doesn't endure to the end... They won't be saved. They never were saved. So everyone who trusts Christ must persevere in faith to enter heaven. Now, it's not that your persevering in faith earns heaven. It's that your persevering shows that you have the genuine kind of faith that connects you to Jesus who did earn heaven. That's why it's so important. So we can't say, well, I'm going to go ahead and just pursue this sin because I've been saved, I've been forgiven, so I can go ahead and pursue this sin. It's all right. It's not all right because you're not persevering, and the fact that you're not persevering, you don't have any assurance then that you're saved because you're not persevering. 
And then you, you turn your heart back to Christ. He turns your heart back to him. You turn your heart back to Christ. And he's running towards you saying, back, come back, son, prodigal, daughter, prodigal. You're forgiven. But so these two truths must be held together. Now, the reason I mention that is because in the book of Philippians, chapter one has emphasized the first truth, that everyone who trusts in Christ will persevere in faith and enter heaven. But chapter three, where we've been lingering for a few weeks, stresses the second truth, that everyone who trusts in Christ must persevere in faith to enter heaven. And so I just want to bring this up because while we are lingering here in chapter 3, let's not forget the crucial truth we learned in chapter 1. Because what Paul says in chapter 3, here's what we've seen him saying, he says that we will be found in Christ, forgiven for our sins, clothed with his righteousness, welcomed by God into heaven, resurrected from the dead. Those things will all happen to us if we count everything else as loss and press on for the prize of Christ. It's if we do those things that we will be found in Christ, clothed with his righteousness and raised from the dead. And so we could think, oh, I may not be able to pull that off. I may not be strong enough to do that. What if I face a trial that overwhelms me or a temptation that's too much for me? And if we talk that way, we've forgotten the first truth. Everyone who is trusting Jesus Christ. So see, if you're trusting Christ right now, even weakly, Jesus, help me. Help me. I'm weak here. That's faith. If you're trusting Jesus right now, you can be absolutely certain that, see, he's begun that good work in you. And so he will continue the good work until Christ Jesus comes back. So we've got to remember the first truth while we're going through chapter 3 about how we will be found in Christ and clothed with his righteousness if we count everything else as loss, if we forget the things that lie behind and press on to what lies ahead. This is what Pete needs to hear tomorrow, right? Okay, all right. So with that in mind, let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Look at what Paul says here. Brothers, it's a generic term in the Greek, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, so what is Paul calling us to do? What does he call his readers to do? Did you catch the, those first five words of verse 17? Brothers, join in imitating me. Imitate me. Brothers, sisters, are you imitating Paul? This last week you thought, what would Paul do? What would Jesus do? That's important. What would Paul do? That's important too. What, what would Paul do? And what Paul's talking about is the things he's mentioned in verses 8 through 14. Verse 8, 
He says he counts everything else as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. We should imitate Paul in that. Count everything else as loss because you have Christ. Verse 8, he counts everything else as rubbish so he can gain Christ. Are you imitating Paul in that? Everything else compared to Christ, rubbish. Oh, I want to gain Jesus Christ. That's how Paul lived. Verse 13, he forgets what lies behind. Those other things he used to trust to satisfy him, to fill him, he forgets those things and he strains forward, fighting the fight of faith for Christ, to gain Christ. Imitate him in that. Verse 14, he presses on toward the goal for the prize of Jesus Christ. Imitate Paul in that. So that's what Paul's calling us to do. He's just gone through those in verses 8 through 14. So now he says, brothers, join in imitating me. Now, what would this look like in real life? I mean, there's, there's dozens of illustrations I could use. Let me just choose one to maybe give you something you can... Okay, that, that's a tangible example of what this would mean. Let's say that yesterday... Uh, you're out in front of your house trimming the weeds or something and, and your neighbor was out and you guys started to talk. And he was so excited. Your neighbor was just really excited because this last week he just heard he just got a huge promotion. Like unbelievable. Massive salary. Stock options. Perks. And he's just bubbling over with excitement about this and, and you're congratulating him and saying that's just awesome, excellent, well done. But later in the day, you you find that you're like snapping at your wife and you're impatient with your kids and you're noticing that your heart's frustrated and and as you you think, what's wrong? dawns on you, you're jealous of this neighbor. You're jealous about his promotion and salary and and stock options. Now, you realize, because you've been reading your Bible, Okay? that the fact that you're jealous shows you're no longer trusting Jesus as your all-satisfying treasure. It's obvious, right? Because if you have an all-satisfying treasure, you'll just be happy for your neighbor, and you're good to go because you've got an all-satisfying treasure. Jesus is your all-satisfying treasure. So if you're jealous, you're not trusting Jesus at that moment anymore as your all-satisfying treasure. What are you trusting? You're trusting like a promotion, stock options, big salary. That would be my, if I had that, then I'd be satisfied. You see how this works? So you've just turned from Christ back to those things that you had forgotten about, those things you had counted as rubbish, and now you're back trusting those things to satisfy you, to secure you, and so on. Now, Paul calls you to imitate him. So what would that mean we do? Well, Paul counts all those things as loss. He forgets those things that lie behind and he turns and he pursues Christ with all of his heart. That's what Paul would do. But but how do you do that when your heart's feeling jealous, when what you really want isn't Jesus? When what you really want is the like a promotion like my neighbor's got, a salary like he's going to get. That happens, right? There's times where our hearts, it's like we know we should be loving Jesus, but we're loving this stuff. What do you do? Now, Paul doesn't, hasn't told us in this passage, but many other passages from Paul, from Jesus, from Peter, from Isaiah, here's what we do. Okay, we start, we just say, Jesus, help me. 
I'm blind to you right now. My sin has blinded me. I'm looking, and I, I know the facts about you, but I'm just, I'm not, you're not attractive to me right now. You do not seem to be my all-satisfying treasure right now. I'm, I'm more drawn to this stuff. Help me. Okay? So that's the first step. Now, here's the great news. You can all take that first step. You can, you can ask him for help, right? This is awesome news. This is the first step. All you need to do is say, from the heart, Jesus, help me. My heart is a mess. I, I want that stuff more than you. I'm an idiot here. Help me. That's all you got to do. And he will move in upon you. So you start there. Help me. Change my heart. And then you open up the scriptures, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is where the the Holy Spirit works through the Word to change your heart. And you open up to some passages that describe the beauty of Jesus Christ, His majesty, His love, His power, His sovereignty, His compassion. Maybe read some miracle stories in the Gospels. Or maybe read about his resurrection. Read about him on the cross. But you open up and you read scriptures about who Jesus Christ is and you you pray over those scriptures. Show me, open my eyes, enlighten the eyes of my heart. Give me wisdom and revelation. And as you do that, I promise you, as you do that, the Lord will, in time, bring his power upon you and heal you from your spiritual blindness, set you free from sin's blinding power, open your eyes so you once again see and feel, Jesus, what was I thinking? I have you. You're everything that I need. Now, now you, you do this often, I know, at least I hope you do. This is how you live the Christian life. You, you cry out, help! Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. Change my heart. I'm, I'm a wreck. And then you open up the scriptures and you pray. You have your home group pray for you. They'll share scriptures with you. You put on some worship music. You, you behold the truth through worship. And as you do that, God will come and he will change your heart. That's what we do. Now, that's what Paul means when he says imitate me. He means count everything else as loss. Forget all those things that are behind and fight the fight of faith until you once again are treasuring Christ as your satisfaction. That's what he calls us to do. And see, that, that's what Paul would do when he felt jealous. That's what Paul would do when he was you know, snapping at Sylvanus. I mean, that's what Paul would do when he was like drawn towards like fearing persecution, backing off from being a bold witness. That's what Paul would do when he felt no love for Christ. That's what Paul would do when he was feeling proud about his preaching. That's what Paul would do when he, whatever it is, that's what he would do. He would count everything else as loss. He would turn from those things. He would fight the fight of faith until once again he was treasuring Christ. And so that's what Paul means when he says, brothers, join in imitating me. And notice the rest of what he says in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So there's others who are living this way. There's the us, that's Paul and the apostolic band, but then there's others that are living this way. And so Paul says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, why does Paul mention other examples besides himself? Right? Why not just say, imitate me, and then go on to the next verse? Why mention, keep your eyes on these other ones, not apostles? And I think it's because 
Paul realizes how subtle Satan can be. See if this makes sense to you. Satan doesn't usually uh, tempt us to like, out and out disobey God's word. I mean, sometimes he does. Okay, but, but oftentimes he's more subtle than that. And so he can tempt us to say something like, you know, it's beautiful that Paul lives that way. Paul is such, just a devoted apostle, isn't he? But of course, he's an apostle. I'm not an apostle. Okay, Paul's an apostle. It's awesome that he lives that way, but, but I'm not an apostle. Certainly, I'm not going to live that way. I mean, that's not like the normal way Christians live, is it? The rest of us don't live that way, do we? Well, Paul has just said, yes. That's how ordinary Christians live. That's how normal Christians live. I mean, what, what Paul has said is that the only way we're going to gain Christ and be found in him, clothed with his righteousness, and raised from the dead is if we persevere in faith like Paul does. Is if we persevere fighting the fight of faith to keep treasuring Christ like Paul does. So that's verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and it's not just us apostles who are living this. Keep your eyes also on those who walk according to the example. Your neighbor Pete, who's loving Jesus, okay? Your, your, your friend Sally, who's loving Jesus. I mean, others. So see me and see others who are walking this way and join in imitating us. Live this way. So that's the, that's the big word that God wants to give us this morning. Is your life involved regularly turning from other things that you're being drawn to trust as your all-satisfying treasure and turning and fighting the fight of faith with prayer, through prayer, and through God's word? And so once again, you're seeing and feeling, Jesus, you're glorious. You're my prize. All I want is you. When I have you, I have everything. Is that your life? Is that how you're living your life? That's what Paul's calling us to do. And that's the big picture for this morning. Now, What's happening in the rest of this passage is that Paul gives us reasons to motivate us. Okay? Verses 18 through 21, two reasons. The first reason is here's what's true of those who don't imitate Paul. Read 17 and 18 together. You'll you'll see why I think that's what he's saying. Uh, Start with verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk, notice that word, according to the example you have in us, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, differently. Okay? Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Okay, so what's true then of those who don't imitate Paul. That's who he's describing in these verses. And Paul mentions three things. Because with all love, listen, if you're not imitating Paul, then for all you know, this is the category that you're in. Okay, Paul out of love wants you to feel that. If you're not imitating Paul, then that's the category you're in. So first, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Why? As I thought about this, I think it's because, at least this is one of the reasons, it's because the, the cross is a blazing display of two crucial truths. One, the glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, look at his love for you on the cross. 
We deserve judgment from God forever. We've turned our backs on him and he's there suffering on the cross because he loves us that much. And so the cross, Jesus' display of love on the cross, that is the most glorious, beautiful, majestic, powerful, captivating reality in the universe is the cross. What compares to the cross? Nothing. The cross is glorious, infinitely glorious. So that's, that's one crucial truth. The second crucial truth is that it's the cross, which means that no matter how sinful you are, you can come to the cross and receive everything that you need. Now, when you turn your back on the cross and being jealous over promotions and stock options or pursuing this sin or that or you know, shining Christ on and just living your own way, You've just turned from the most glorious reality of the universe, which is calling you to come and receive everything you need, and so you're making yourself an enemy of the cross of Christ. See, Paul doesn't play games. This is what sin is. You're making yourself an enemy of the cross. That should make you frightened. Because Paul loves you. That's what it is. Are you an enemy of the cross? You don't want to be an enemy of the cross. I promise you, you do not want to do that. That's the first. Second, their end will be destruction. That means that they're going to face eternal destruction in hell. I, I think maybe that's one of the reasons why when Paul talks about these people... He speaks with tears. Paul didn't like talking about hell. Much more comfortable topics to talk about. But it brought Paul to tears because he loves people. Okay? And so if if you are knowingly, willfully pursuing sin with not without remorse, without saying help without saying, brothers, sisters, pray for me. If you're just knowingly, willingly pursue sin, then all you know from all that you can see about your life is that your end is going to be destruction. So that's why we should imitate Paul. Imitate him. Again, he's giving us reasons for why. So that our end won't be eternal destruction. Third, he says, their God is their belly. I had a hard time figuring out what this was about. I read a lot of commentators, and here's what I think. I'm not alone. I think that by belly, Paul's talking about God-given, normal, good, bodily desires, okay, for things like food, things like drink, things like sex, things like comfort, things like rest. Okay, these are these are good, God-given desires that are part of our of our bodies okay but when we make those things our treasure when we turn from christ to seek our joy in those things when we pursue those things in a way that's disobedient to jesus christ okay then what's happened is that we've made those things into our god because whatever you seek your joy in is your god Your treasure is your God. It's your functional God. But listen, your belly 
isn't God. Okay? God is God. God is glorious. God is majestic. God is beautiful. God is loving. God is all satisfying. Those things are not God. Your belly is not God. So that's why we should imitate Paul and keep fighting the fight of faith so we treasure Christ above everything else because otherwise God, your, your God will be your belly. Obviously, that's not right. Third reason. Fourth reason. He says, their glory, or they, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Okay, earthly things. Earthly things are nothing compared with God and his holy son, Jesus Christ. And earthly things, they fade away. Earthly things get destroyed. Earthly things don't last. Earthly things you get bored with. I mean, the best earthly thing will end up boring you. I promise you. The best. Yes, it's, it's, it's not sad. It's reality, okay? But God will never bore you. Never bore you. But the best earthly things. And so if we glory in earthly things, if we worship earthly things, we'll end up ashamed because they will fade, they will become boring, they will become ho-hum, they will be destroyed. And if we worship, pursue those things, we will end up ashamed. And so that's another reason we should imitate Paul. Okay, That's why we should fight the fight of faith to keep treasuring Christ because otherwise we'll be pursuing things which will end up bringing us shame. So one reason we should imitate Paul is because of what's true about those who don't imitate Paul. Do you see how, how he's arguing for this here? It's very clear, very powerful. Paul's not pulling any punches. He wants it to be crystal clear. There's the, the narrow way that leads to heaven, fighting the fight of faith to keep treasuring Christ, turning our backs on those other things because Jesus is our treasure. We're not giving up anything to do this. Okay? You're gaining it all to live this way. Paul's being very clear. And then there's the wide way. Okay, we can get drawn into that so easily. Oh, prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. So we just got to turn and say, help! And he comes and helps and we fight. Okay, so that's one reason. Second reason is because of what's true about those who do imitate Paul. That's the next section. Okay, let's end on some good news here. Here's what's true about those who do imitate Paul. Verses 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So first of all, our citizenship is in heaven. Now listen, there is a God and there is a heaven, glorious heaven, where God the Father dwells, Jesus' is Holy Son, and all the redeemed will be. And if we are fighting the fight of faith to treasure Christ, if we are persevering in the faith to treasure Christ, we're not going to do this perfectly, but when we sin, help, we come back, we fight. If, if we're persevering in faith, heaven will be our destiny. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's why Imitate Paul, because your citizenship will be in heaven. Now, 
Second truth about those who imitate Paul. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, everybody agrees that this world needs a Savior. I mean, just look at this world. I mean, we pretty it up and we do, God's given us grace to do a, a you know, to, to, there's common grace that, that's, you know, we can have streets and we can have landscaping. And, but everybody agrees this world needs a Savior. There's problems. There's tragic problems. And it's not going to be more money or more education or better communication that's going to solve it because the problem is deeper than those things. The problem is sin. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, the curse of sin has covered the world. The the earth has been ravaged by sin. We see the effects of that in our own hearts. We see the effects of that in our own bodies. Okay, so there's a problem. We need a savior. And at the end of history, Jesus Christ is going to come back. Savior. Notice the emphasis. From it, we await, from heaven, we await a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so those who persevere in faith, those who continue to forget those things that lie behind, count them as lost for the sake of gaining Christ, those who live that way, Jesus Christ will come back and he will save us finally from all the effects of sin, from all the results of sin. You'll be saved. We need a savior and you'll have a savior as you're imitating Paul. Third, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Okay, so like I said, thousands of years ago, because of Adam and Eve's sin, okay, sin's curse came into the world, and one of the effects of, cur- of sin's curse is, is that it's made our bodies lowly. Okay, we have lowly bodies. So like after, what is it, 18, is that your prime? After 18, it's downhill all the from there on in. Okay, just... Okay? But, but not only that, I mean, even more seriously, you know how your body is, is kind of wired? I mean, sins affected our bodies so that, like, jealousy just wells up and it's like a, almost like a bodily, a visceral feeling, right? Jealousy or fear, right? Or lust or pride, I mean, our bodies are allied with sin. Sin's curse has covered everything. I mean, God created us good, but sin messed it all up. Bodies aren't bad. We're going to have resurrected bodies in heaven that are going to be awesome, but these bodies have been corrupted by sin. The whole, Paul talks about the flesh. So these lowly bodies, though, what this means is when Jesus returns, I mean, okay, we're talking about your body now, okay? So, so you understand this is, Get in touch with that. This is your body. Okay, so just put your hands in your body. Okay, this is, okay, that body. Jesus is going to transform that body. That one. And not only will that body for, forever then be free from pain and sickness and death. I mean, that's glorious news. And for some of you who haven't struggled with sickness, it's theory, but for those of you who have struggled with sickness, that is glorious news. No more pain, no more death, no more sickness. Okay, but, but even more than that, when he transforms your lowly body into his glorious body, your body will no longer be allied with sin. What will well up in you is no longer jealousy and envy and anger and pride. What will well up is love for Christ, worship of Christ. Love for the, seeing the redeemed glorify Christ. 
That's what's going to be welling up in your body. So he's going to transform our, okay, that body. Okay, your body right there. This body, these knees, elbows, this body is going to be transformed into Jesus, being like Jesus' glorious body. That's another reason. Persevere in faith to keep treasuring Christ. And one day he will transform your lowly body into being like his glorious body. Okay, questions about the passage. Am I, am I in sync with the scriptures here? That's the most important question. Because again, what, what Jesus will talk to you about at the, end, at the end of history isn't whether you believed me, Steve Fuller, but whether you believed him in the word. So am I in sync with the scriptures? Josie. Thanks, Steve. That's a great question. So sometimes I, I open up these questions to everybody else so that you can answer it because I'm not... Because why might... Let's think about this. Let's explore. Uh, Paul does say imitate, imitate Christ, right? In fact, he's just given Jesus in Philippians 2 as an example we should imitate. But why does he say imitate me? Yes, sir. I think uh, Paul is referring to himself because we're human Okay. You can imitate Christ as I do. Okay. That's what I think. Okay. Good. Other reasons? Yes, Kathy. Here it comes. Thanks, Steve. Um, also, just considering the context that he's Jewish and he's speaking to fellow believers who are being maybe tempted to follow the law or those who. That's right. That's right. So Yes. That's right. Did you catch that? So um, the Philippian believers were being tempted to seek their joy in the status of circumcision, Jewish distinctives. And Paul had, had lived all those Jewish distinctives and had turned away from those. So that'd be a very tangible example for them to help them fight. That's great. Thank you. Other other reasons? Yes, Anne. Right here. And then Lynn. And there you go. Well, you know, I was thinking this the other day about Paul. He said he was chief among sinners. Yes. And, um, I don't know. That's encouraging to me. Yes. Yes. And now um, he wants us you know, to imitate him. And I think, oh, that just shows the hope that he had, that, you know, he was transformed. Yes. 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 Good. That's helpful. Okay, and then Lynn. I think the Philippians had seen Paul in the flesh, mm-hmm. but they had not seen Paul, but Jesus. Jesus. In the flesh. Yes. Yes. And so it was an obvious example. That's right. That's right. So the Philippians had not seen Jesus in the flesh, but they'd seen Paul personally in the flesh. So, yeah, excellent. Okay, good. Other questions? Or, I'm sorry, Marsha. Um, there's a sister here who, we have some of the same um, 
challenges in okay. terms of sinning, not sinning. Uh-huh. And she comes to mind often because she's overcome things mm. in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so to the extent that someone follows the Lord, then I have this real-life person with me who you know, has shared with me how she used to be, and I even see in moments where she is challenged and when God overcomes, it's just, she's a stranger to me. Yeah. And it's wonderful in the same way to be able to see someone yes, yes. who laid down their life following the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's an encouragement I can do the same. Beautiful. Thank you. Good. Other questions then? Yes. Yes, sir. We all are not struggling, you know, jealousy and a small thing like this. But the Apostle Paul is way out of, you know, concerned there. That he was willing to risk his life. And uh, it's such a difference that our struggle and his struggle is much. He's so aloof. And... Uh, we don't know. Paul is talking about press toward, toward the high calling of God. Yes. Now, I was thinking that you, you pastor, you are ready to go to a mission field. Uh-huh. And your calling is most likely like uh, Apostle Paul. The Probably God called you to go to the mission field, right? Yes. Okay. Can you explain to us that what kind of a, a violation of God called you to go, go to the mission field? Your struggle is not like us, the jealousy and you know, hatred. And you are going to risk your life like a Paul did to go to the mission field. What is your experience? How... How did you reach that type of uh, calling? That um, you willing to go to that tremendous pressure and struggle, and so you you have that first of all high calling. Okay, okay. Okay. Thank you. How did you how, how did you receive and how did you get there? How many years to get to that point? Um, so maybe somebody else can help me, but I think there's a couple different questions intermingled there. And one is, I, I don't think uh, I would I would agree that 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 struggling with jealousy is is kind of what what everybody does. But but like me, certainly not. But like but, but that other struggles are like some higher level. I think it's all kind of the same same battle. Um, God called us to go to Abu Dhabi. He made that very clear. Okay, prayer, dreams, other, I mean, just the body working together, and so the the same struggle to say no to jealousy. I mean, there's there's reasons we could have said no to Abu Dhabi, but it's the same battle. So uh, uh, anybody here who who this week is fights and overcomes jealousy, that's just as awesome a battle as the battle to say yes to Abu Dhabi. Same, same battle. Do you agree with that? Is that am I being clear? So um, Paul's battles, your battles, my battles, all the same battles. 
They're all they're hard. I mean, to fight against jealousy is hard when your heart is caught up in what this other person has that you don't have. It's hard. Like if if you're single and your friend gets married and you want to be married, it's I mean that's hard to get free from that jealousy. Or if somebody has a, has a baby and you haven't been able to get pregnant, you know we dealt with that for for years. So the battles are all hard and all I don't say easy, but winnable. So that's that's one point I want to make, and I'm not at, I'm not at some level. I mean, we're all at the same level. We've, I mean, you've got battles, I've got battles. I sin, you sin. Jesus is there. We're all here, and we're all we're all we're all on the same level, I think. So. Well, the call the call to go to Abu Dhabi is different. Anybody else here called to go to Abu Dhabi? Not yet. Okay, we're we're still praying for that. But you're called maybe to talk to your neighbor about Jesus this week. Okay, that's a big call. And you'll need to deal with fear. And someone else may be called to, to, to give money to city team. That they, It's like, wow, can we afford that? Okay, and that's, that's a big calling. And so we all have different callings that God will call us to. And we all battle in the same way to be obedient. So I hope I'm being clear. Um, well, I mean, I've, I've been a Christian for 35 years or more, 40 years, 45 years. We've been married for, okay, never mind. I keep forgetting. Sign of, see, this body's going to be transformed. I'll be able to remember stuff. It's going to be awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm a little hesitant to to make it sound like I'm at some very advanced level and other people... I mean, um, we've all got our battles. No, I don't think so, brother. I love you. I love your heart for the Lord. I love your question. I don't think it's different. Can somebody else maybe help help me explain that better? Karen's got something, and then Marsha's got. Let's start with Karen, then come to Marsha. Well, I think it's because we're all we all have different callings. Yes. So you're a pastor, but you've also been called. God's called you to do this thing. Um, there are people that call, are called to be missionaries. Yes. That are called um, to be teachers. There's teachers that are called. If you find out what your calling is, they're not all the same. Yes. And his calling is, uh, Steve's calling is not going to be the same as somebody else's. Yes. So you have to know what your calling is. Okay. And being close to God, he'll reveal that. Yes, he will. Okay, and Paul wants to jump in there. Stay tuned for chapter 4 because Paul's going to show something in Ah. Okay, spoiler, spoiler. All right, Marcia. I'm blessed to uh, have a cousin and her husband who lead a church. Uh-huh. And, I, and they are wonderful, godly people. Mm. I knew her before she was saved. Mm. Before I was saved. Mm. wonderful. Mm. Um, still not. And... I'm thinking that people in their church may look at them as sometimes we might look at you and Jan, that, wow, you know, they just got this down. But, you know, I'm blessed to hang out with them at their house, and I've seen them have arguments, and Mm -hmm. I see what they struggle with. Mm -hmm. And, yes, they've overcome in some wonderful ways. It's only because of Jesus. Right. Any of it. Yes. And so we're we're just all his children. We are, yeah. Amen. 
Okay, time-wise, I think I've got a, after Maria, then Maria will be the last one. Go ahead, Maria. Yes. And not generally a call of what it is you're doing, but make, but call as in what it means to trust fully mm. in Jesus. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Why did he die on the cross for you? Yes, yes. I think the, the word call is not a what you're doing, because that itself is, can be an idol. Yeah. Um, it, the, the call is to redirect everyone's heart and eyes good. back to the power of Christ. Yes, and yes. And belief in what he did is enough. Yes. And, and um, Beautiful. you can't add anything to that. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything you can't. You can't, anything you do, going to Abu Dhabi, that doesn't mean you're closer to Christ. It, it means that you're called to, in that region, to, re, to put everyone's trust in Christ, yes. Christ. Yes. I think generally, I think the call is for for us to redirect mm. everyone back to the Christ, to the fullness um, that we have in Christ. In Christ, yes. In, yes. Know, we can't do anything. We can't add anything to it. And our sinfulness tells us we need to do things. And mm-hmm. we can look at imitating Paul as. A list of to-dos mm-hmm. when it's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's about him and he's his full trust and faith in Christ. Yes. The cross is enough. Amen. What Jesus did on the cross is enough. Is enough. Beautiful. Thank you. So here's what Paul's saying in this passage. He's calling us to fight the fight of faith, so we treasure Christ. So are you doing that? Are are you turning from sin and saying help? Are you opening up the scriptures and praying? Are you asking your brothers and sisters to pray with you? Or or are you just willfully, knowingly pursuing sin? Please, please, please don't do that. Please stop. Turn to Christ. He'll be running towards you with open arms. He will forgive you. He will change you. He will free you. He will satisfy you. He will change you no matter how far you feel, no matter how dark your heart is. He will do it. So turn to Christ. Fight to keep treasuring him more than everything else. Stand together. I want to pray this over us. I pray, Lord, that you would bring your power upon anyone here who has never put their trust in Christ and that you would you would draw them right now to turn to you, that they would see that they don't bring anything except for their sin, but if they'll come, you will take them and wash them clean and change their hearts and fill them with your love, that that you will do it all. So Lord, draw them to turn to you right now, I pray. I pray for anyone here who's been trusting Christ, but who is knowingly and willfully settling for sin, pursuing sin, without fighting, without repentance. And I pray that you'd convict them of the 
dangerous place they are in, that they would see that if they're knowingly and willfully pursuing sin, they have no ground for thinking that they're going to be in heaven. And that I'm praying this now and that you're saying this in your word because you love them and you want them to turn and run back to you. And so, Lord, work in their hearts that they would do that today. I pray for those who have been fighting the fight of faith, who have who've been going through trials or fighting temptations, and the fight seems long, and the battle seems hard, and there's weariness. And I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them and strengthen them and give them hope right now for that. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would stir us to fight the fight of faith, to keep treasuring Christ above all, because Jesus Christ, you are the treasure above all. This is just reality. And so help us and strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.